What is going on? My name is Taylor, and this podcast is called Who Knows, a podcast that works to answer the simply complicated questions of life and promote a life of self-love, mental health, and creating your own normal. Don't worry, we are just as lost as you are. Hello, hello, hello. It is so good to be here. Talking to my Who Knows fam always makes me feel good. I hope that everyone is holding on tight as February has decided to go 60 and a 35 and is basically over in like two seconds. Take notes, January, because you took 3,000 years. We are back with our second to last interview episode of season three. Oh my goodness. I have been really, really, really loving this season and I hope you guys have too. But you know, it's not time to say goodbye just yet. So let's keep enjoying each other's company, shall we? Before we get into it, I would love to bring to you my two favorite announcements. You know them, you love them, reviews and Patreon. Fam, listen up. A review is a tiny little gesture that you can do to make a huge difference for us. It helps people find the show, which not only might help people learn new things or get inspired with what we were talking about, but it helps the show grow so that we can keep making it, which is something that I, for one, hope to be doing for years to come. But that can only happen with help from all of you. So if you have a little time in your day where you're not doing anything, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever reviews can be taken. And we will love you forever. And if you really, really love us, you can become a part of our other fam, the Patreon fam, like our girl Logan Landry, who most recently became a patron. And we love you so much for it, Logan. Thank you so, so, so much for becoming a patron. You, yes, you can also become a patron. You can pay as little as $1 a month to have a little extra who knows love in your life. It's so much fun. I love making the stuff over there. Lynn gets to pick some stuff that goes over there and it's so much fun and we would love to have you. So we have a segment on the show called The Things, and it is where I take a minute to talk about a few things that I might be super into right now, exciting things that have happened, like events or accomplishments, or sometimes stuff that I might be really struggling with right now. This is The Thing this week. Kevin Smith is my hero, and that's how I'm going to start this, because that's just how I feel right now. If you don't know who Kevin Smith is, he's a writer and director of such classics as Clerks, Dogma, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, Zack and Miri Make a Porno, you know, those, those old chestnuts. Really, he makes a lot of indie movies, but they are there is a huge fan base for them, and I am one of those fans. Most recently, he made a movie called Jane Silent Bob Reboot, which is a reboot of Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Long story short, it's a movie that makes fun of reboots and remakes by, while being one of them at the same time, and it's the best. I love it. I have loved Kevin Smith's work since before I should have been loving his work. The movies are a bit on the mature side and I started watching them probably when I was like 13 years old, but there's just something about his work that I've loved for as long as I can remember. 
on February 17th, we got to go and watch his latest movie, Jane Silent Bob Reboot, during his Reboot Rogue Show tour, which is the coolest thing ever. It's a tour that he's doing where he's taking the movie to a bunch of places and watching the movie with the audience and doing a Q&A after. And I just have to say that it was awesome. It was the coolest thing ever. And I loved every second of it, the movie and the Q&A. The questions that got asked were all absolutely terrible as usual. I've been to his Q&As twice now. People, if you don't have an actual question, do not get up there. But luckily for the crowd, Kevin is able to spin anything into a golden 20 minute long story filled with laughs and inspiration. Like I said, I've seen him twice now, but it's always inspirational and I leave remembering why I do what I do and why I'm busting my ass and why I'm so determined to make my own way and do my own thing. He always says something that really sticks with me and this time, this is what he said. I'm paraphrasing, but he told us all not to wait around for someone to pick you, but instead to pick yourself and do your own thing and believe in what you can do and not give up on your dreams because of other people's bullshit. And man, this is big. It's a big, it's a big deal for me. Like it sounds like a really, really hard thing to do, but it's such a good thought to have. And I know I want to do it. I want to pick myself. I want to believe in myself. We'll see how I feel tomorrow. My mental health doesn't always exactly align with what I'm interested in doing, but I'm inspired nonetheless. And thanks again, Kevin Smith, for being part of my reason for keeping this train moving. Right, let's talk about who we hung out with on this episode. Her name is Lexi Ritter. She's a friend of Lynn's, and I'm so glad to call her a friend of mine now as well. Lexi is a comedian based in New York City, originally from Atlanta, Georgia. And when she isn't being funny, she said that she's a client researcher for a consulting firm, which she calls, quote, very creepy FBI stuff, which made me giggle then and now. Lexi and I got together via the Skype, and she taught me a ton about being a comedian and doing comedy, which I was really excited to talk about because I feel like this is something that I've always been super curious about but never had the chance to talk to someone about and it was amazing. She shared her story about how she got into doing comedy and how much it means to her. She gave some insight on the process of writing jokes which is something I've always wanted to know about and it was super cool to hear about and she also talked about a ton of other awesome stuff that you get to hear about right now. I always get super worried that I'm like not setting the scene enough for all of you and then I remember as soon as I stopped talking you get to hear the episode for yourself. Isn't that great? So let's get into the good stuff, shall we? Here is Lexi Ritter and I talking about comedy. Lexi, I'm so excited to meet you. Oh, this is great. I'm uh, super excited to meet you. I've been thinking like right before we connected, like how I was gonna say hello. <laughs> but this is good. This is great. Yeah, yeah. I love that too. Because even though this is like, quote unquote, my job, I still have times where I'm like, God, I have to talk to this person today. Uh, can we just not? How am I supposed to do this? How is this supposed to happen? And like, it's still no matter how many times I do an interview, it does still end up being a little scary. But it's super great to meet you. And I'm super excited to talk all about comedy. So I like to ask all of my guests that I have on the show this question to sort of get like a like a foundation, I guess. But 
The question is, who is, insert name of guest here, so who is Lexi Ritter? How would you answer that question? And there's no wrong answers. Um, Lexi Ritter is uh, just a girl sitting in front of a computer <laughs> looking things up, like, all the time. Yeah, I don't know. I, I like... I feel like a sponge sometimes, like a hyper-observational, someone who is just like constantly like soaking in everything around her, whether it's like where I am, who I'm with, like knowledge about like stupid shit. But at the same time, I'm like extremely anxious. So it's like that sponge is like constantly being squeezed at the sink, like scrubbing away at some dishes that like are already clean kind of situation. Yeah, I feel like I'm a reformed type A turned type B. I, I feel like I grew up very like in my head, emotional, um, stressed out a lot. And then I like decided I didn't want to be that way anymore. And like, because I was type A, I was like, okay, we can change this. And now I'm very like, go with the flow. I don't know. I've been a personal bull person my whole life. I would say another descriptor of me is hates drama, loves gossip. Like I like to be third party. I think I really do like to be third party. Yeah, that's me. I love that. I love to when we're off this call one day, I'd love I'll text you and be like, teach me how to not be a type A anymore. Because <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> like, how do you just say no to, to being stressed out? What does that even mean? It's like, I think it's my biology and like the reaction I have to like weed. I don't know. I think I Sometimes, you know, you can't stop caring and, you know. Me all the time, every second of every day. (laughs) (laughs) I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. I don't know if Lynn told you, but I'm weird about comedy. Like, I have certain people that I like and a lot of people that I don't like. But my, my number one, like, besides Mitch Hedberg, who is, like, hilarious and like I just love his for me it's all about delivery and like his delivery was like really really good and is like I'll still go back and watch like his one special where he talks about Smokey the Bear and like that's like always my favorite but as in terms of like living comedians that I actually like Mark Marin is like my like old man boyfriend who I like love so very very much (laughs) he's like part of why I got into podcasting and he's like doing more Netflix specials now and like stand up and stuff like like more of his stand-up stuff and I've been watching all of it and I really like it but I I don't know a lot about comedy so if you are talking to someone we don't really have to pretend because this is the reality if you're talking to someone who doesn't know a lot about the world of comedy what would you tell them okay so first let me comment on the Mitch Hedberg thing because uh, he's like definitely top for me as well and that definitely stems from like my dad getting me a Mitch Hedberg CD of Strategic Grill Locations which is one of his albums and he's yeah he's the tops definitely and I also think Mark Maron's very funny haven't really listened to his podcast but do love Glow which he's in Okay, so somebody getting into or not knowing anything about comedy, maybe wanting to get into it, maybe interested in it. I think there are a lot of different types of comedy, whether you're talking about like stand-up versus improv versus sketch, like sitcoms, rom-coms, whatever. Those are all different like breeds of comedy. Then you've got like 
I can't tell you how like new or innovative it is, but like the idea of like the alt scene in comedy and that versus like the mainstream and like obviously there's always been an underground, but like when does it like become performance art as opposed to like character work? Yeah, so I, I think there's a, a lot of different types of comedy. I think, you know, some people say that comedy is tragedy plus time. In, in today's age, there's so much content to absorb that comedy is literally like everywhere. And I feel like a lot of people, when they're like getting into comedy, they're like, I like comedy, but I'm not funny. Like that's like, that, that's a pretty pervasive attitude. Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking a lot earlier about like, the idea of like a sense of humor and like whether we all have this like sense compared to like taste or touch or sight or whatever and I really think we do like I, th I, I feel like people have a sense for humor a sense for comedy all the different types sometimes they react more strongly to one as opposed to another I think if you're trying to get into comedy you gotta just like start I don't even want to say, like, start at the beginning. I, I just want to say, like, as soon as you find, like, one flavor that you like, do a deep dive into that flavor and then see if there's overlap and then spread from there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's funny is you mentioned, like, the absurd stuff and, like, that, like, performance art stuff. I had to, like, when you were saying all that, I was like, oh, right. Uh, Eric Andre, he's comedy like he's a comedian because when he does his show if you've never watched Eric Andre people who are listening you have to look up just the intro to the show because he literally just like just goes in and just like destroys everything Hannibal Burris is in it as well and he is the and like their like their timing is the best because Eric Andre is just like running around breaking things and then Hannibal's just sitting there and he's just like yeah okay what is so ridiculous but it's funny because i forget that that is also comedy because like i because it like there is just like those different facets of like there's like the traditional like stand-up comedian there's like cartoons which are also like there's a lot of comedy and that kind of stuff and then there's like stuff like eric andre and like everything on adult swim that is just like so 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 ridiculous but is also like a form of comedy and like not everybody likes eric andre but that there are other people that like other stuff and so that's what you were saying before about like everybody has like their different sense of humor. Yeah. And like, so I have friends who love Eric Andre and then that's like one extreme that, that gets very avant-garde. It's so heady that it's not heady anymore. Like it just like, you really can't think at all about it. What's going on. You just really have to be present in it, which is partially why I think it's so great. Then there's like this other end that's like the extremely wholesome side of comedy that is like, I don't know if you've ever seen Joe Perez show. It's also on Adult Swim. To me that that feels like so the opposite end of Eric Andre because Eric Andre's like chaotic mess and Joe Perez feels just like super soft, cozy. And I feel like the overlap between my friends who love Joe Perra and love Eric Andre is like a circle. They're like the exact same, even though it's like the opposite ends of the comedy spectrum. Because both are very much about like just like letting go, not thinking, being present and sort of like finding uh, Zen in that. Yeah. So let's talk about how you yourself got into comedy. What made you start what are some of your inspirations? You know, where did it all begin with your being in the world of comedy and doing stand-up comedy? 
so when I was in middle school, I think it was seventh grade, and this is like right around my transition from type A to type B. Previous to this, I was like having meltdowns in school, like crying a lot, freaking out, like hyper anxious. But I was like hanging out with this, this like group of friends who were all in my neighborhood. I went to a small school system. So like I knew everybody from like pre-K, kindergarten through senior year of high school. Like we all grew up together. So I'm hanging out with these kids in my neighborhood and a couple of them who I was close with would always leave like on Sunday afternoons to go do improv. And I was like, why are you guys always leaving? Like, I want to hang out. And they're like, you should come with. And I was like, super anxious. Like, I don't know, like, I've never done this before. You guys have been doing this for months. Like, I don't think like I'll fit in, blah, 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 whatever. I went with them one week, like I planned way far ahead. I was like, oh, like weeks out, like, okay, I'm gonna go on this Sunday. I'm like, I know well in advance what's going on. There were these two girls in the grade above me who are twins and their dad did improv when he was in college. And so that he was like teaching them and their friends how to do improv. And so that's what this was. It was like very informal, but I went and I went every Sunday after that for like, I, I think it started seventh grade or eighth grade. And then like all four years of high school, I went every single Sunday. I think I missed like two in like five years. So it just really stuck with me. And in high school, I like did like a very tight, like I did stand up once at like a coffee shop. So I think some kid was like hosting a variety show and I was like, I'll try this. And I just, in middle school is also when I read Bossy Pants. I think I was in eighth grade. I think I was 14 when I read it, if I'm doing all my math correctly. I know that super like dates my age, but I, I read Bossy Pants and that kind of like flicked a switch. Then I started consuming a ton of like memoirs of comedians. And that was kind of like, that was really big for me because I, I, I don't know, I was like obsessed with who these people were and like how they had lived their lives and like whether we had similarities and that sort of thing. And like where they found humor and whether that was like me, um, what was important to them and was that important to me. And then in college, I auditioned my freshman year for our college improv troupe at the University of Georgia, and I didn't get it. And that was like heartbreaking, but I, I had this summer to like kind of regroup and I came back in the fall and I kind of just went in like, hey, I get to like do improv here anyway because they have open rehearsals. I was like, I can come here once a week and get to do improv, like that's all I want. And I realized, <laughs> that I don't think I'd put this together before how important comedy was to me, but I realized that on every college tour I went on, I asked if they had an improv troupe and I hadn't like put that together. Like that wasn't something I had planned to do, but I realized later that it, it was something I did. And when I got in, I slowly realized even more. It took me a lot. Like it feels like I started so young, like nobody starts in middle school, but I started so young and it took me so long to like catch on to the fact that this was the thing that I loved and was passionate about and only wanted to do and was the only thing that kept me coming back. The only thing that I like could commit to. And it was like this, like I didn't have to worry about it. And so junior year of college, I was like, okay, I like I'm getting good feedback. People are telling me that they are like enjoying what I'm producing. And, you know, I started doing sketch then too. I, I started doing stand up regularly my freshman year of college and I would perform 
like probably once a month. And then I was kind of on and off a sophomore and junior year, but I, I like came back senior year and was like, okay, since I'm dedicating like my trajectory to this, like my goals to this, um, I started doing stand-up really regularly, writing a lot more. And yeah, it took me so long to catch on to that. I mean, as a kid, I was like constantly doing voices, constantly like pretending to be characters from freaking Pixar movies. So yeah, it like kind of all like came to a head like two years ago. And then I was like, that's it. Like, this is it for me. And I kind of dove in. And that's why I'm in New York now. I was going to ask if that was why you're in New York, because that's where dreams come true, baby. Hopefully, hopefully. Fingers crossed. How has it been going? You know, you're in Georgia and then you moved. How long have you been there? Um, I moved Labor Day weekend. So September, October, November. So it's a very recent move. Yes. A little less than six months. And so, so far, has it crushed your dreams yet? Uh, Not yet. I feel like I'm having a pretty good time. I've gotten lucky in a lot of ways which New York is also good for. It kind of puts you at opportunities doorstep, which is what you want. It's hard because I feel like this is also a common sentiment of like, it feels like there's a timeline. And like, if you're not on that timeline, you're behind. Like you should already know what the timeline is. I feel like uh, it's hard to not feel like you're behind everyone else and you're not doing as much and you're constantly comparing yourself and saying like, okay, this person has been here for this long and they've gotten to do this, this, and this. I've been here this long. I should be doing this by now. And it's like, that's just not the reality. Like something crazy is going to happen to someone and they're going to jump like 10 spaces ahead of you. You're going to get like a community chest card that you didn't want. And then, you know, you're going to try to buy Atlantic Avenue and you're going to go in debt. And then, you know, no one's going to land on that square. I I really didn't know how much I knew about Monopoly. But yeah, it's hard because I've only been here five and a half months and it feels like I've, I have to catch myself from feeling like I've wasted any time because like, it feels like I should be doing more all the time, all the time. It feels like I should be doing more, but I really am doing like a good bit and trying to save money and trying to make friends and like all of that takes time too. So it's hard, especially because I didn't move here with any kind of like comedy job. And I feel like some people do and most people don't. I also don't have like a degree in theater and a lot of people say like, that's great. You didn't waste your time, but like- Shots fired. <laughs> uh, but I, I think that like there are like I, I didn't know anybody when I moved, and a lot of my friends have theater friends who live in New York, friends who know people who are leaving jobs and are looking for someone to f- take that job, or like have connections that I didn't have because I didn't have a theater degree because I didn't spend my time in departments where there are channels to New York. You know, I didn't study any kind of like media and that's like a huge thing to be able to to get a media job here would be great. You make a lot of connections in the comedy world that way too. It's like, you can't be woe is me. And so I'm just, I think I'm having a good time at the end of the day. Yeah. Half a year down, we're still doing okay. Yeah, yeah. And one of the questions that I usually ask is like, what are some of the challenges that come with what you're doing? What are the challenges that come with comedy? And it sounds like personally for you, one of the challenges is is that you weren't in a department that had a channel 
to New York because that is, you know, I, I and I was in tech theater, so it was like still a, a channel to New York, but like also like in the world of acting that is pushed like that's like literally like they take you all to New York for your showcase where they're like, hello, like this is us. And so, yeah, like I, I, I never really thought of it that way, but it is true that that is like something that is set up for those that choose to do that in college. And so, yeah. So, so would you say that it, that that's been like one of the most challenging things or one of the challenging things? I, I mean, I, I definitely think it is a challenge, but in many ways, and I really want to like emphasize this, I feel like I've gotten so lucky in, in like, I like my roommates. I have a job that pays me enough to live. I like do have friends now, you know, like I, I'm doing fine, but I will say I don't have a portfolio. I don't have a reel. I don't have an agent. I don't even know where I would begin to get an agent. I mean, I do kind of have an idea of where I would begin to get an agent. I, I like pay attention but these are things that like you could get at a like a school that had a good theater department you know you you could build an acting reel you could have a portfolio you can have an acting resume and like I think the overlap between having a theater degree and being able to make it in comedy is underrated the relationship there I think is sort of pronounced and so I did improv in college and a lot of my friends in college were in the in theater in some capacity or another. And a lot of their friends had no no interest in comedy. Like improv, I think it is something you can put on your acting resume as like, I'm well-rounded, but it's not something that is fully appreciated within theater. And I think that still holds true. And I'm, <laughs> I hope I don't get canceled, but I, I, like if any of your listeners are like big th- theater heads, I just feel like Comedy is second tier to, like, drama. I think people don't realize that, like, you you gain a lot from having a theater degree. And then to be able to go and start doing comedy, like, it's no big deal. Like, I think that needs to be talked about a little bit more. Yeah, and what I think is interesting, too, is that I've been listening to a lot of the Office Ladies podcast. This is like the third episode I've mentioned this because it's so good. So two of the actresses from The Office are talking about, they're rewatching all of The Office and talking about it and like do talking about behind the scenes stuff. And one of the things that they talk a lot about in there is how like all of the people like Steve Carell and like those big names that are on The Office all started out doing like improv stuff and like I also think that it's interesting that you said that comedy is second tier to drama because I know a lot of people who are like drama get it out of here like not into it like my boyfriend like it's hard to get him to watch anything that has any depth of like classical like drama anything that's funny he's in there are so many people that like that's like their whole deal is like they won't watch anything that's not funny and like that's like all of their consumption of media and so I think that it is super important but I also can see what you're saying about how like sometimes it feels like because comedy is like not to be taken seriously that it ends up being like oh we're just like not going to take this seriously but it also is like, you know, a very like it's timing. It's like I have a, I have a director that I work with all the time. That's like this is so much harder than drama. Like when he's like trying to make something funny, he's like, this is really hard. 
I've heard that like going from comedy to drama is easier than going from drama to comedy. Like if you have more training in comedy, you're more equipped to deal with dramatic roles. And I, and I think that does stem from something like timing because timing is like essential to comedy. All of comedy hinges on timing. It no matter what your choice of comedy is. And I think that in drama, you can kind of get away with... I, and th listen, I love drama, okay? I love I love film, love TV, love, love it all. Jane Austen, love her. <laughs> but I, I do think that, like, you can get away with in drama, like, purely emoting. If you can show emotion, you can do drama. But, the, like, emotion's not going to cut it in comedy. It's, it's really... There's a lot of depth there, but it, again, it's like the not to be taken seriously. Like we're all just having a good time and we don't want to think necessarily. And so I think there's a lot of discomfort in comedy that does make you think or forces you to think a little bit harder than you're used to because we save that for the drama. Drama's for thinking, comedy's for having fun. But in a way that's comedians doing their job because like, if you're not thinking, if you're just hanging out, just having a good time, then like, good, you're not, like, catching the the work that's going into it because there's a lot of work going into it. In drama, there's, I guess, a deeper appreciation for the fact that it is work and there is something going into it that doesn't always translate to comedy. Yeah, I get what you're saying. It's just like being a technician where it's, like, all this stuff that's happening behind the scenes, like, you're not seeing, like, you're just having a good time. If somebody notices that the comedy is bad, it <laughs> means that, like, it's, yeah, like, that's the problem. If someone's having to think to catch up with the joke and, like, they start to question everything you've set up, then it's, yeah. And, like, it's super easy to talk about with improv because, like, with improv, object work is a huge part of it. Like, setting up the scene because you're mm -hmm. building it all in imagination land and if people start to question like whether like where that cup went that you were just holding then now it's not going to be funny the suspension of disbelief has been broken yeah so when you're writing a joke what is that like because i sometimes i don't believe i'm like they're just talking like they're they actually like wrote that beforehand like i but then you like see them do you're like oh they're doing that same joke and so i know that like they wrote it down or they at least rehearsed it but like do you actually like write the jokes down like it's a script do you start from an idea and like record yourself telling a story and then like just try to tell it the same way like how does that conception occur okay yeah so for every comedian it's different like truly to look inside a comedian's notebook would be like such a different experience from person to person mine is like very uh key points like i write key points that i want to make sure i hit and then sometimes if it's a story i'll write it out all the way out and then when I'm writing my set, like if I'm going to go on, I'm going to write a set, I'll just hit key points. But I'll have written it down at least once to try to like memorize it. And it's interesting that you say that it feels like they're just kind of making it up because I've been told that I seem off the cuff. And it's funny because like I do improv, so I do like do comedy off the cuff, but with stand-up, it's, like, hard to explain how many times I've thought about something because I do have anxiety, so I am, like, rehearsing in my mind everything I'm going to say before I stand up to make sure that I am saying it exactly how I want it to be said. 
it is nice though to have improv as a, a background because if I do miss something, I don't freak out. Like if something does come up, like a thought pops into my head, I'm not afraid to add it. Or if like somebody says something in the audience, I'm like comfortable with that. I can keep rolling, I can deal with it. And some people are like too tightly rehearsed and too much like if I don't say exactly what I have written down, I'm gonna mess up everything else. And that is like, that's definitely a pitfall of some people's approach, I think is to be too tightly rehearsed. But yeah, and like a lot of my uh, standup is sort of like, I think of one joke usually that's like, it would be funny if I like talked about this and said it this way. Like what if I said, um, well, like maybe I can look and see something. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of like play on words or like, take this phrase and twist it because there's like um obviously you got the setup and the punch classic stand-up format setup and punch but then there's the uh like misdirection where you're like okay we're, we're talking about it this way but then the whole time i actually meant it this way and that is probably what i like the most is misdirection but um i i also just really like to be like super honest and like talk about things that I feel like people maybe are too embarrassed to talk about. Like I really like to talk about like shit and like going to the bathroom, but I, I'm like, uh, I like consider myself to be like highly academic, highly intellectual, like highly pretentious even. And so to approach it from that standpoint, like I'm like, I like, I like to think of what's my perspective on this thing and how can I be highly vulnerable about it? Like r radically vulnerable and authentic on stage. Yeah, like I've been thinking, like I, I had this joke about how I think the Bible is the head canon for like different denominations fan fictions. And like that every denomination of Protestants is like writing their own fan fiction based off of the Bible. And that's like kind of been a, a joke that I've been doing recently. And I just, thought about that one day of like, it feels like we're writing fan fictions. Like this is what it feels like. And so then I just started riffing on it and messing around with it, toying with it. And so like I told it at one set and then the next set I was like, it feels like a, and this was an off the cuff moment. I said like, it feels like a Reddit thread that went off the rails. And that led to another set where I was like, it feels like Baptists are just kind of shit posting at this point. And so like taking these like common things that we know and like making an analogy that everybody can relate to. Yeah. You know, what's funny, though, is that this actually brings me to one of the thoughts that I had when I was preparing for this interview is that sometimes comedy, you know, and, it, and this is all subjective, I guess, but like sometimes it can really cross the line, it feels like. I don't know. And like, what is the line? Like, I wrote this in my notes because like this is just like the basic like way that I can, you know, just describe it is like, I ha I'm sorry to everyone who likes this person, but I hate Louis C.K. I hate 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 not because of all his other you know his stuff like not because of his you know all that but I hated him way before that because he I don't want to talk about people dying I don't want to tie like it, I'm not really into that like he's he will relies really heavily on death and dying and you know because like I don't not like dark humor but some of the stuff that he says is just awful and I really cannot handle it like I remember watching 
one of his Netflix specials. And I literally was like, I hate this. Like, I can't stand this. Turn it off. I don't want to hear him talk anymore because whatever he was talking about was like hurting my feelings. I was like, I don't like this. And so like, is that something that you think about? Is that something that you're like willing to take the risk on for the joke? Is that a thought process that you have? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I, I definitely catch myself and like try to be considerate i think good comedy comes from being thoughtful i i think that like for instance like with people like louis ck or people who hate pc culture to me it, they hate comedy that makes them think a little bit more about the world that that forces them as comedians to try a joke again and like think again and if it's not funny like to scrap it it's something that i'm willing to consider and think about and say like to take an audience's feedback on because if i'm going to be performing for audiences i do consider their feedback important whether that's the final end all be all of a joke is a situational thing i think it depends on how much I really care about what I'm saying, which some people would argue you should care highly about everything you say. And, you know, I think I do care highly when I am being even silly and I love to be silly. And that's why it's important to me is because I love it and I feel so good doing it. But all of this is to say that, like, I do think it's worthwhile to, to think about the jokes you're telling and whether they cross a line. But on the flip side, I also think that comedy is art. And I do think that some art is supposed to make you feel bad or uncomfortable or be ugly or be, be gross. And because comedy is a reflection of the truth, sometimes the truth fucking sucks and truth hurts. I don't know if I'm... But yeah, no, I mean, sometimes the truth is fucking shitty. And like the thing about comedy, though, is like the approach to dealing with that and explaining it and talking about it. If you're not making people laugh, if you're not laughing at it, then don't say it. Like, don't talk about it at a comedy show. Don't say it on your improv show, your comedy podcast, your your whatever, your book. Don't pretend like it's comedy if it's just you having a bad take. Like, mm -hmm. you, you can't you can't pretend. And I think a lot of people are trying to use comedy to deflect and pretend and like make themselves look like they are in control when really they're not. Yeah. And then I, I, there's two things that you said that are kind of interesting to me is like the idea of like, you know, you're just having a bad take on this situation and like trying to make a joke out of it. But like, really, you're just like really upset. And like, I feel like I have times where I like say things that I'm like, oh, this is just a joke. And I'm like, no, I'm actually like really having a bad time. But what I also like kind of think is interesting is like there are a lot of like pieces of art out there, mostly like stuff that I see on Instagram or like artists who specifically do stuff about mental health that kind of like ends up like, yes, the whole reason I do this show is because of how deeply I feel about the importance of mental health and like the visibility of mental health. But it also is like, you know, there are some times where like, I feel like I need like, I've seen this one girl who does art where like, she has like all these stickers that are like, walked out of the house today or like, put on shoes, you know, like that kind of stuff where it's like, those things are really difficult. But like, I want a sticker for the fact that I did it. And like, so it's like kind of a joke, but it's also like, it's also like empowering in a way where like, we're talking about this because it's a thing. And like, we're kind of using, you know, a little bit of humor to, to make everybody realize that this is like a shared experience that we're having like that, that anxiety is everywhere. Like a lot of people are dealing with that. And like, there's a lot of people that like literally don't want to get out of bed in the morning because like of the existential dread of life. And like, you know, those kinds of jokes. And like, while there's a portion 
portion of that that like it's like depression is very real and like very serious but I also do think even as a person that really severely struggles with mental health issues like sometimes seeing those like little jokey things online does make me laugh because I'm like yes like I am dealing with that right now and like somebody else was is also dealing with it and so they had the thought to make this that like now we're having like a shared moment where we're like oh man like I'm dealing with this right now and like the whole thing about dealing with mental health stuff is like we're all trying to get to better like we're all trying to find our version of better and like sometimes that is comedy and I've heard a lot there are a lot of comedians that deal with mental health issues and like that like some of their jokes like stem from like mental health issues or like you know that kind of thing like is that something that that you've also heard is that something that you identify with you feel as though doing comedy and you're like you mentioned that you dealt with anxiety is that something that you maybe were able to channel that anxiety through what is your take on that yeah no that's that's great I, it's funny that you mentioned this um I went to a comedy show with my roommate a couple weeks back and her like takeaway from it she was like I just wanted to ask every single comedian if they were okay (laughs) I knew you were gonna say that yeah she was like I just I don't know like they got up there they were all so great but like are they good (laughs) honestly probably not and that's you know this is their sort of way of dealing with it right now I think a lot of comedians struggle with mental health and in that way sometimes and I think this is true for a lot of artists when you're not when you're doing really well you're like is my art gonna be good am I I'm not struggling like it is that going to be a problem? Am I wrong for feeling good? Because I I do think there is a bit of glorification of like, you know, the struggling artist. Like you have to be messed up to be like able to produce. Like art comes from pain, which like sure. Like I think art coming from pain is beautiful, and I think that's great. I really do think to be able to channel that like hurt into something that could be helpful for others is really important but it doesn't have to be where your art comes from and that's something that I've really been like trying to like come to to terms with and really get my like wrap my head around so I like say that a lot and I vent about that a lot because yeah when when I was younger I so I was like formally diagnosed with general anxiety disorder my freshman year of college and that's when I started seeing a therapist but I had definitely like shown signs and symptoms of it like for years and years and years and well so I also wrote my like um common app college essay on improv and like I'm just like sometimes I think I'm so smart and when it comes to me and like deciding to do comedy I'm like girl you're so dumb like why didn't you know like why didn't you do anything about it uh why did it take you so long But the essay was basically about, like, feeling in control and, like, feeling like even though you're, like, improv is totally made up on the spot, you don't know anything ahead of time, you're kind of thriving in that unknown. And that's, like, what I wanted to achieve in my outside world. Like, in my day-to-day life, I wanted to be able to handle the unknown because that's where I freaked out, lost control, or felt like I was losing control really is what it was. I, I was in control the whole time and I wasn't able to know that, like they're, like externalize this fear that I had and be able to say like, I am present, I am in charge and like, it's not gonna be a catastrophe. It's gonna be okay. And comedy really allowed me to do that. And comedy really gave me perspective on that and sort of gave me a taste of like, 
oh, this is what it feels like to be comfortable not knowing and be comfortable like interacting with other people at a very vulnerable level to be very deep to not be shallow to be willing to be like fully honest and fully open and roll with the punches and that was something that I wasn't able to do before so I, I found that like I was really able to channel my specific like mental health issues into comedy and and that it helped me get better and feel better and I, I'm not like cured because I do comedy it's one of those things where like when I when I'm not doing comedy I'm like very susceptible to depression and when I have depression and I still want to do comedy I find you know some days you like you can't like you I just couldn't and that's like that's a reality but when I was able to convince myself to do it there was like a somatic response like I was like I like physically felt better and that is like super helpful even if it gives you one day of feeling good like that's so much better than like that day was just scrapped or felt like it was just scrapped and then you know when you you are doing really well and you still have comedy to go back to and still have this thing to do it still feels good and you still feel better coming out of it than you did going into it. And this, I'm totally sorry. I'm saying you, but I'm saying me <laughs> really at that is what I mean. I come, I come out of it feeling better and it's super therapeutic in that way. And it's, it's one of those things of like, I think everybody should go to therapy. Uh, I like think that everybody could benefit from therapy. I think everybody can benefit from like laughing for 15 minutes and like getting to hang out with their friends. Like, I think these are all beneficial things. And so it's maybe a unique art style in this way of like, when you're happy, it still hits super hard. Like, it's still great. Because like, it, it really does stem from like, connecting with others. And I think a lot of people really find joy in that. Yes, to all of that. And like, I think that what you said about how difficult it is to like get up and do comedy or like do comedy when you're feeling down is like something that I've been thinking about a lot with the fact that like it is very real the level of difficulty that it is to create when you feel like garbage like and but then but what's but what's really hard is that I'm like going through this thing where I like, I'm like, I know that this is going to make me feel better, but like even doing it or even the thought of doing it is like just so much right now. And like, and it's tough. Like you get into that cycle of like, I want to do this, but I'm like freaking out about it. And then like uh, you like one day you like do that, you like you do the thing and you like feel that good feeling. And then like, you know, sometimes you can like pull those positive memories back to do it all over again. But it's still like there can be those days where it's just like you can't do it. Like it's really rough and like that's really real. But I want to know what are some of your favorite things about doing comedy and creating comedy and making people laugh? Like comedy overall, what if you had to pick a couple of things that were your favorite things about doing it, what would that be? Okay, yeah. So let me start with like the selfish things because I want to end like with people being like, oh yeah, she's she's like super selfless and like forget this part. But, <laughs> but this might convince people to do it for themselves. I don't know. But anyway, so I genuinely have like a biological somatic response to doing comedy. Like 
it's science that you release endorphins when you laugh. Like it just makes you happier to laugh. And I find that when I'm doing comedy, I am laughing in improv, in sketch, in stand-up, like getting to see my friends perform, getting to perform and feel like what I'm saying is funny. I don't think it's wrong to laugh at your own jokes. Like if they're funny, they're funny and you should laugh and enjoy them. And when you laugh, you make it okay for other people to laugh. So like I am really bad about not giving laughs at times when I don't think something's funny but if somebody is like really struggling on stage sometimes they just need one person to laugh because that'll make the whole room sort of open up and let them in so if you start slow and you the audience isn't on your side like that might not be a reflection of your jokes at all that might just be a reflection of the room and a lot of people can get discouraged by that so I think it can be gracious to to give a laugh and say like hey this is okay like we came here to do this let's let's like give them a shot and if they don't keep us laughing then that's when we'll like stop you know if what they're saying truly isn't funny then we'll stop but I think that that's one of my favorite things is like a shared laugh and like the way it makes my body feel is is like fantastic I would also say, you know, the fact that it's helped me with my anxiety. That to me is like one of my favorite parts about comedy. Like I, I feel so good doing it, coming from it, getting to see it, participate in, to even just talk about it. Like this is this freaking awesome to me, getting to talk about it for an hour. Then on top of that, like feeling connected with other people, like sharing, sharing laughs, sharing jokes, um, sharing that, that like sixth sense that is humor. Like being on a different wavelength with somebody where like you you're laughing at the same thing and maybe you don't know why it's funny, but you're both laughing and that feels special because you can't really articulate what it is that made you laugh, but you know that this other person shares that feeling with you is is highly enjoyable and, and so, so nice. And I feel like, so I have a friend from college who's like maybe one of my best friends ever. And he and I write a lot together and we talk about comedy a lot together. And like, we wrote a play together that was a comedy and we have like a weird undercurrent between us that is like, we don't always find the same things funny and we don't share every single interest. Like we aren't like the exact same person, just like cloned. But when we are like talking to each other and writing jokes or writing a scene or something like that there is like an unspoken weird bond of like oh you you know exactly why this is funny and you you made it funnier because you you were able to to jump on that you didn't have to say anything to me to like indicate that that was going to happen but we knew when we were doing it that i should do this and you should do that and that would make the best thing that it's like supernatural, strange overhand kind of situation of like, we just get it. Like to just get it is like fabulous. It's so cool. And when you hit that with an audience, another per, even just one other person, even like a family member, somebody you grew up with, somebody you talk to all the time, somebody you've never talked to before, to just like both get it is like, one of the best feelings in the world and to feel gotten. Mm -hmm. I love all of that. I I just think the whole time I'm thinking about me and my boyfriend where we have like all of these jokes and like, it is good to like have that like shared laugh and like that, like you get it. Like that moment is beautiful. And I do think that it's really great what you said about how like if 
that person is up there and they need just that one laugh because like they're, I think that sometimes people forget how so, like even just your small amount of support for something that somebody's trying to do like means so much because like it's like that little support turns into like more support into more support and like makes like can make a career for somebody like I mean like if we're talking like you know I have big dreams all the time. I'm like, and then it's going to be this big thing. And on a serious level, like supporting somebody in like anything that they're doing, like even just like liking their stuff or like, you know, watching a video that they put out or like going to the show and laughing at their jokes, like in the, ter in you know, in terms of comedy, like I think that we need to like all remember like how just that little bit of support can like really, maybe it can make their career happen or maybe it can even just make them go home and like not feel like sad about what's been going on in their life. I think all of that is like really important stuff. You've given so much advice already and like I've learned, I have learned so much about comedy overall. Like, but if you did have to give like one like one piece of advice to somebody who was like trying to start comedy or trying to start like, you know, writing jokes or anybody who is, who is aspiring to do something in the world of comedy. Again, you've given a lot already. I'm so grateful to have, you know, heard all this and talked to you, but if you had to give just one more. If you are trying to get into it, first know that there are zero rules. Okay, so there are zero rules. But then if you're really trying to get into it, learn every single rule because there are also an infinite number of rules. And then when you've learned all of the rules, break every single rule. Don't pay attention to any rules. So it's, so it's like there are no rules. Learn every rule. Forget every rule. And then you'll be, uh, you'll be making a million dollars, I think. Yeah, I love that. That's so funny because I feel like that is like, perfect like I'm probably gonna like post that on Instagram and tag you in him because that's just that is absolutely beautiful and I love it Lexi thank you so much for having this conversation with me I feel like I've learned so much about comedy and I'm so glad that somebody else doesn't like Louis CK because I just can't handle it but I also do like about the fact that you said you know sometimes you're just talking about stuff that you don't want to deal with and you're like very correct, because I don't want to think about death and I don't want to deal with it. But overall, I'm so thankful that I've gotten a chance to talk to you and I've learned a ton. Yeah, me too. I'd love to talk about this stuff. Uh, let's talk about it anytime. Yeah. Am I alone? No, I don't think so. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope that you got something out of this episode, whether it be a new look into the world of comedy or maybe you want to go tell some jokes of your own you should do it. I would be right there laughing in the audience for you. And as always, we encourage you to have conversations like these with the people in your life. The more conversations like these we have, the less we feel so alone trying to figure out life and the closer we feel to those that we love. Learn about new things. Ask people about who they are and what they do. You may learn something new or get excited about something in a way you never thought possible. I am seriously looking at comedy in a whole new way after talking to Lexi, and I love it. Thanks so much to her for having this conversation with me, and thanks to Lynn for introducing us. I'm so excited to have a new friend. If you want to stay up to date with episode releases or see cute pictures of cats, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Who Knows Pod. We are also on Facebook at Who Knows. We feature pets on our Instagram story every day we release a new episode, so if you want to send us a picture of your cat, dog, or any animal, we would love to have them. Send us a photo over on Instagram or in our email and we will feature your pet. 
You can also visit our website at whoknowspod.com. And if you want to send us any questions, we would love to answer them on the show. Send those over to taylor at whoknowspod.com. The best way to support us is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends, tell everyone about the show. Like I said, we want to grow this community and we need your help to do that. To support us even further, become a patron for as low as $1 a month. This sounds like it's like deja vu, isn't it? But seriously, become a patron for as low as $1 a month to get access to exclusive content and help the show get better and better. For all of you, this episode was hosted by me, Taylor Dankovich, edited and produced by Lynn Barbera. Our intro music is by Chris Williams, and our outro and transition music is by Tori Silver. Who knows who's out there? But I love you. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Until they thing i almost forgot lynn lynn is like you bitch you better not forget this okay